precious Lord Jesus. Always very consciously reminded, Lord, of the songs that we sing, that they're, they're testimonies. They're a statement of faith. They're, they're testimonies of the greatness and the kindness of our God and how you move amongst your people, Lord. These aren't just some little ditties or some little silly thing to sing, but, Lord, as we take those words and, and read them and then voice them back out through these lips of clay, Lord God, and become words of life. Lord, many times we sing songs we don't understand or don't really mean, Lord, but, but I pray that as you continue to open these eyes of understanding, Lord, we're taking very, very close watch of, of each word as it comes apart that, that I would say that, Lord, I want my life to be examined and to put into use as a sanctuary of the Most High. I want anything that's impleasing to you, Lord, to be burned clean upon your altar, Lord. If there's any one stray thought, if there's any one emotion, one, one offense, one scar, anything like that, Lord, that it be brought into subjection to the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, this is what we're singing, Lord, when we want to be a sanctuary to you because you won't come upon any dirty thing. You won't live amongst filth. You won't live amongst smut or things of this world, Lord. We have to surrender those things to you. Too many times we're holding on too tightly to such nonsense, such things that don't give life, but in fact they bring death, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy upon your people. How we love you today. What a privilege and honor it is to stand and worship you for this short amount of time this morning, Lord God, to lift our hearts and our, our spirits and souls in praise to the Most High God. Lord, yet still again, we can stand to testify we found no one like our God. There's no God like Jehovah. There's none, that, none like the Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you today. Bless your people, Lord, in a very special way. I pray that you would take these words, Lord God, and, and let them saturate real good and deep down into each heart today. Don't just let them get stuck in our mind, Lord, but let them find good ground today. I pray that that ground has been tilled up real good through the worship service, and now the word can come forth, Lord, and, and find good ground, and it would bear good fruit. Have your way. Satan, I speak to you right now. I curse you. I bind you. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are under our feet. You are defeated. You have no place here today. You will not distract. You will not offend. You will not have any success or any traction in our lives anymore. I bind you in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, move ever so sweetly today amongst your people. And have your perfect way in our lives today, Lord, and in this service. We surrender all that we are to you, Lord. Every facet, every fiber of our being. We lay it at your feet as we bow down to worship you. And your beautiful and precious and lovely name. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. Do you love the Lord? If you don't love him, it means you don't know him. But once you get to know him, you can't help but love him. There is none like him. I know there's people that have supposedly claimed to be Christians a long time that don't really know him like they ought to know him. But there is, a, there is a relationship that can be had in our day like never had before. While you're standing, if you'll open your Bibles up to go back to Isaiah. Book of Isaiah chapter 61. We wanted to... Uh, we're, we're carrying on that same thought, but we actually have a different title for today. I kind of told you wrong yesterday, Aaron. The Lord woke me up this morning and had a little bit different of a title. 
that he had for us. Let me get this moved over. Our title this morning is The Seal of God versus The Seal of the Devil. The Seal of God versus The Seal of the Devil. But, but even in its simplicity and the beauty of our Savior and the beauty of His Word as it opens and unfolds to you on a daily basis, which it should be, because you're in the Word on a daily basis, feeding and reading and letting that Word wash you. Amen? Amen. Kind of got quiet there for a minute. Chapter 61, verse 1. I want to read just those, those two verses right there. Well, three verses will do it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he, he alone, he alone might be glorified. You may be seated this morning. I'll start out just at the very beginning and say how much I love this message that God has brought through our prophet. I so love our prophet. I never had the opportunity to meet him in this life, but I so appreciate the man surrendering his life to be used of God and how he did and what God brought forth. Thank you so much, Joseph. There, there, either one. And I don't take that as a light thing. Now, if you ever ministered and ever had to stand before a group of people, especially people you know, you might know things that they disagree with, things they might disagree with you personally on, and they, it's, it's difficult when you go to preach with someone to know that. It, it makes you have all knotted up stomach, and, and you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't want to offend anyone, but sometimes the word does cut. The word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and when God does that, blessed be the name of the Lord. If I'm doing it out of spite, then Lord, forgive me. And I've never my intention to do it out of spite. So you understand that with all that he stood with, and, and I think it's been mentioned quite a bit, when, when he would stand and preach the message and preach what God revealed to him, he wasn't preaching to as yet message believers. Most of them didn't fully understand at that moment that he was a prophet of God. Most of them didn't understand if they did. So, okay, the willing man, you're a prophet. They didn't know what prophet he was. They didn't know that it was that Malachi 4. Very few knew that, even though it had spoke, been spoken from a voice, out of the heavens there in 1933 on the banks of the Ohio rivers he was baptized the 17th person that day even though that voice come down and said just as John the Baptist would forerun the first coming of Christ your ministry will forerun the second coming of Christ thousand people stand today thousand people heard that voice and heard what was said and many of them I guarantee you were critics they were unbelievers they were people that did not believe what was said by the voice that come out of heaven did it make it any less true Still just as true as the sky being blue and the sun being bright. It's still just the truth. Now, as you, as you look at that and that truth, you, you've got to understand that, that he was a man and that it is because John the Baptist was a man. 
you got to understand that in that prophetic statement, because every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which you're to live by, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which you're to live by, is a prophetic word. It's a supernatural, creative word, good or bad, as you might would imagine, or you might weigh it or equate it out. Good or bad, it's still the truth. So when he makes a statement that says, such as John the Baptist, you understand that he could have easily said as Malachi 3, is that prophet of Malachi 3, because that's who John the Baptist was. He could have said just as, as Malachi 3 and said it just as, as fine-tuned as that. But when you put John the Baptist's name in there, you've got to go back and look at the character of John the Baptist. You understand? You're following me. You follow me? So he didn't say, is that prophet of Malachi 3, which John the Baptist was, but as John the Baptist was, you, know, is, you understand that, that that same man that come along, that he in that inspiration and the Holy Ghost falling and, and being there to illuminate and light up the Messiah so that he could point at him and say, that's him. That's him. Where our prophet from Malachi said, that's our Lord up there. John the Baptist said, that's our Lord right there. You know that John the Baptist was on the earth when he pointed at the Messiah. This is where a lot of people get tripped up. There's a friend of mine that told me that he had been fellowshipping or talking to, I don't know if it was a family member or, or someone that had left the message and was struggling with lots of things like that. And they said that the reason why they, they struggled with was all the way back to this prophecy. They said that because that voice said, just as John the Baptist would forerun the first coming, your ministry would forerun the second coming. And they said because, as far as they knew, that the Lord did not come before Brother Ram died, that there must not be that prophet. This is where most people get tripped up. If you look at even to the breach, even the message of the breach, you've got God hiding himself in simplicity, the opening of the word now. God hiding himself in simplicity was at March 17th. He starts with that sermon, God hiding himself in simplicity. And then he goes into the breach. Certain statements that he even makes in the breach, if you can't carry them on through with a revelation of God and you just sit right there and you get stuck that I could see it'd be easy to quit the message. He said this would happen. He said this would happen. And if this hasn't happened, then he must be a false prophet. But it did happen. But it's only revealed to those as such as would learn. Now, as you make these statements, many times throughout the message, you'll see he say, I I can't say things plainly. They said the same thing about the Lord Jesus. Why do you still talk in parables? Why do everything you say is a parable? Why can't you just come out and plainly say? The disciples asked him that. Why won't you just plainly say? He's like, okay, come here. Come here. Here's what it is. And that's what God does to his wife. He makes it plain. He makes it known. He makes it understanding. What if they'd have been walking there? You ain't going to tell me nothing. That's exactly opposite of anything I've ever been told. What if the disciples would have said that? How many supposed message believers have said that? I believe that, but I don't believe that. And it's, it's, it's very different. It's a very different thing when, when something's been said about you. You have the choice to believe it or not. But whether or not you believe it doesn't make it true or false. It doesn't make it true or false. I've had something prophesied about me that when I was first told it, I don't believe it. I didn't believe it. I didn't say it was wrong. I said it can't be me. But yet it was still prophesied. And I'm nobody. But you've got what God says something and it must line up. See, God isn't a builder of the sort that it looks like he's following a snake, kind of like our cords here. God is just perfect. His word is perfect. If you've read it very long, you understand how perfect it is. There's no fault. There's no error therein. It is perfect. 
So when you follow such a straight path, such a perfect plumb line, such a perfect angle, it must line up if your origination is pointed exactly in the right area. We talked about trajectory recently. If you're, if you're coming off of a wrong kilter, if you're, uh, maybe if you had a, a plane about to take off and one, one motor was pushing harder than the other, if it didn't have the same thrust and equal balance, it will at the very least come off crooked at the very least, or even explode and crash because it's not being pushed right. And in there you find flesh and spirit. And you have a similar balance with spirit and truth where Jesus said those that will worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. This is where you have so many hang-ups. You had the Pentecostals. Well, I just felt the spirit. I, I shared that with you. I had a friend of mine that was an older brother, and, and he was a Pentecostal, charismatic. And anytime we get talking about things of the Lord, he would just get to, just shaking and vibrating. His lip would get to quivering, and it would get a little awkward after a while. And, and I, I admit these are supernatural, powerful things, but maybe something was wrong with me. Maybe I didn't express myself good enough because we're supposed to be sufficiently impre- impressed. I'll admit that. We're never supposed to be say, well, I guess that was the word of God and, and not be moved. There's always going to find something to move you, whether it's things of God or things of the world. All my life, I've sat in churches with people that you could stand right beside them and never hear them breathing. But you get them near a football game, basketball game, soccer game, baseball game, opera, anything, anything, and they go crazy. They go crazy. (laughs) I'll stop right there. But I want this to move me. I want this to excite me. But I don't want just the moving of the Spirit. I want to be Firmly built. I want to be firmly placed. I want that rock of revelation that's been prepared before the foundation of the world so I know where I'm standing from and I know where I'm coming from, thereby I know where I'll end. So by all that being said is you must have the spirit and you must have the truth. And thereby you find even on our worship service that a lot of old songs we don't sing. They're not current for this day. We're not going to stand and sing about the coming of the Lord. I believe he's here. I believe the second coming's already passed. I can prove it by the message if you'll believe what he said. We might disagree, maybe not, but it's the truth. We might disagree, but it's, the tr- it's what I believe to be the truth. We're not going to sing about, I, I don't want to sing songs about dying. There's a chance I could die. I don't want to sing a song about dying. I want to sing the song that I'll take a, ba- a rapture, take a body translation. And that's my heart. That's my prayer. I don't want to stand and sing to you about, oh, my wife could die, or this could die, or my car could blow up. I, I want to speak life. I want to speak, I want to sing from a place of revelation. And this has even got to be even to the point of, a lot of people say, well, now you're getting nitpicky. It's got to get down even to your conversation. You must order your conversation aright. You don't want to be saying, well, I guess I'm still sick. I must have this. I'm talking about the natural. I must, this is still wrong. This problem, this relationship, all this thing. No, no, no. That's not what you're called to do. If you're called to be a bride of this day, you're called to order your conversation right. He said this. That's what it is. I don't care how bad it hurts. He said this. That don't matter. You agree with me earlier when I said his words are creative. His words will bring it to pass. Heard a brother saying recently that you know, a lot of folks will say, well, I, I, I worry about my kids. I worry about my health. I worry about this. He said, you need to from now on speak this way. I am healed. I'm delivered. I will take a rapture. My children are saved. I've claimed them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm working out through my family, claiming as many afar off as the Lord our God will allow me to call. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. 
You find a balance in that where a lot of folks say, well, I don't see any fruition. I don't see them getting any better. They're just as hard. They're just as callous. They're just as mean. Things got worse than ever before. It don't matter. The truth says I can claim them. I don't care what my spirit thinks. There's a perfect balance. There's a perfect balance. Satan can impersonate any gift of God, but he cannot bring that word line by line. He will always twist. He will always pervert it. He will always try to water it down and tear it down in your eyes and your mind. So, And there you find the seal of God versus the seal of the devil. Now, we, we started on this Sunday about being all walled up, and it's something the Lord had put on my heart about in your natural flesh, in your own natural relationships, in your walk, in your, uh, your, your, your experiences with others, how it's so easy to get crusty, it's so easy to get shut down, it's so easy to be offended and scarred up to where that you can't love someone that you should love, much less your enemy. That you can love one that you should love, much less your enemy. Well, this was done. This was done. You, you can each one th- think of someone that you know that is so shut down and so callous, so scarred up by the things of the life, they think it's no one else. That's not what you're meant to be. Now, <clears throat> it's been on my heart a lot lately thinking about how that God designs bones. And if we were to jump over to Ezekiel, don't have time. The way, God, the way that God would design a bone, the way that God designs cartilage, and the way God designs fibers and veins and skin, it is so fascinating and it's so profoundly supernatural and much, much stronger than it ever technically should be in a natural thinking. Your bones shouldn't be able to take the amount of weight, the amount of pressure, the amount of stress, the amount of things that they, they do take, but if it wasn't for that life and breath of God being in you. And you're meant to be uh, not necessarily hardened. We're told in the Bible not to have a hard heart. Do not harden your hearts. And, and I've had things that I've had to repent for because my heart was hardened in areas. I've had roots of bitterness spring up in me before. God, by his mercy, has either healed them or still in the process of healing. I know I'm not alone in here this room this morning. So that's God's mercy to us. But you're meant to be soft. You're meant to be pliable. meant to be able to be used by the Lord. Brother Ram talked about the, um, I don't know if he was talking about the Pentecostal church or what it was. They said, you're so young. You're so baby. You're so immature. All these different things. He said, we might be young, but we're at least green. And by being green, we're staying flexible. Staying flexible with the word. And that's where you have your problem with denomination or organization. It says, God said this and there's no more to come. We'll stop right here. But when God gives more light, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it such as the Lutherans, you know, just kind of are organizing on the just shall live by faith. It's one of the best uh, depictions that any of us could probably think of. And they just stop right there. And so many others, they stop on one particular move of God. God can't do anything else he wants to. But God is meant to lead his church and be moving amongst his temple. This is where you hold your hand up and say, I am the temple of the living God. I'm the temple of the living God. And I don't know how far we'll get in this this morning. But I do want to read a, read a quote to you out of the Seven, uh, seven Seals book just to, just to kind of give us a, a, a way to understand that this is not skim milk. And I want to say it like that. I, I kind of prefaced that quite a bit last Sunday. I, I know a lot of folks that believe that if you're dealing with the heart in a natural sense that you're just being just as simple or just as plain as can be. But I don't know about you, but I, I live in this body all day long. I live in my body all day long. I live in my mind all day long. And anything that my body's going through, my spirit's going through. Now, if, if something that can, can, can put this work, can put this revelation, this hidden ministry, this hidden mystery to work in my daily life, I want to know everything there is about it. 
everything. If I can find out through this truth that's been hit before the foundation of the world that makes you different than any other church on the planet, I want to know all about it. This is page 24 of the Revelation of Seven Seals, actually from God hiding himself in simplicity where he started. In his paragraph 165 in that, he said, When God is just about to do something to deliver his people. Hold these words in your thought. When God is just about to do something and to deliver his people, God sends a message to the people. And he'd already typed all this beforehand. If I don't know if you can see it where he was talking about Moses and being led by that, by that fire, by the pillar of fire and by the, the, the bush that wouldn't burn and all that God had there. God sends a message to the people. And it's so simple, as we'll catch in the breaking of these seals. That was my purpose of bringing this first. He's saying, this is my purpose. His thought, his prayer. And, and if you know, again, as far as ministering, and you've got things on your heart that you want to say. You've got things on your heart that you want to try to express and, and try to get to. And there's many times I walk away, Lord, I didn't get to anything I wanted to say today, but his perfect will. Amen. It must be his prayer. I don't care what i got to say. I only want what he got to say. I hope you feel that way. I've looked back in many times. I thought that was the most chopped up, off the wall, here to there, bouncing around thing. But it was God moving around, answering the needs of his people amongst the, in, in the congregation. And anyone else that was listening to the tape didn't know any of you here. They're like, man, that guy's all over the place. But God was speaking things that y'all had prayed to him about. Amen. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't any good or- oration. But it was God moving. God sends a message to the people, and it's so simple. Keep that in mind. It's so simple. And we'll catch, and as we'll catch in the breaking of these seals, that was my purpose of bringing this first. So he, he's prefacing the opening of the seven seals, the, the mystery here before the foundation of the world is being prefaced with a sermon called God Hiding Himself in Simplicity. What a way to preface. He said, that was my purpose of bringing this first, that we find out that the purpose, that the the breaking of those seals is so simple that the smart miss it a million miles. Remember, what is sin? Sin is to miss the mark. Sin is unbelief. It's to miss the mark. So even as he preaches these seals and God opens and reveals this, you still don't have to believe it. You can choose to say, I, don't, I like that, I don't like that. I believe that, I don't believe that. I don't accept that, I don't accept that. Because that ain't the way I ever heard it. That ain't the way I ever was taught it. But when you walk up with a clean and pure heart, Lord, just speak to me, Lord. Each day, And you'll, every time you go back, speak to me, Lord. He'll open something else. I, I said that with me many times. I've read through a scripture and I've paused and I'm like, Lord, I know I'm missing something. I know there's something way greater buried in there than I can imagine. And, and they're just not at that point yet to get it. But keep surrendering your life. The smart miss it by a million miles. He said, I hope that God anoints me for it. It just goes over the top. And that's the reason I thought this message this morning would be appropriate to lay a foundation on the simplicity of God. See how God hides himself in simplicity. See, just think. They can break atoms and do everything else. They can break atoms and do everything else. But when it comes to touching life, they can't even tell where it come from. They can't even tell where it come from. A simple blade of grass, and God is hidden it. They can fire a rocket to the moon, shoot a radar over there, whatever more, yet can't explain the life in a blade of grass. He said, that's right, see. It's because it can't be explained. It's so simple, they overlook it. 
Now notice Moses in the day that God was going to deliver the children of Israel according to his word. Take you right back to what he told Abraham. They're going to happen. You remember that, that promise was given through this seed. Through thy seed to be as, uh, as many as the sands of the sea. Thy seed will be. But then a terror come upon him. You understand that <clears throat> the prophet give us a little bit better de- de- you know, depiction of maybe what had happened in that uh, the other day. Me and Joseph was listening to a sermon. I don't remember what that was just the other day. I can't remember what that was. I think that was Friday. He was talking about how that they, they were calling mud daubers. The children of Israel there, they were supposed to be down there. You know, it rose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. There arose a Pharaoh that was in command, that was in control, that was ruling, that did not know Joseph. And if you were to fast forward just the end of the book of Genesis and see what God did through Joseph and how that people, if he come by and a trumpet was blown, every knee would bow to Joseph, to a mud dauber. A future mud dauber, a Hebrew, not Egyptian, but so much uh, authority and power was given to that man. So, but now you fast forward 440 years and you have them down here, it will be 400 years. Depends on when you look at it, before Moses was called, after Moses was called. You have, they've come down to that point. And they, they just, the most horrible conditions you can ever imagine. He said that they were considered their life literally meant nothing. Their lives, the lives of their family meant nothing. If a, if, a, if a slave master or a taskmaster didn't like the way your son worked that day, he could take him and kill him and you could do nothing about it. Couldn't do nothing about it. If they thought your daughter was pretty, they could take your daughter and have their way with her. You could do nothing about it. Their lives meant nothing. Harblest. Harblest things you could imagine. That was a situation they were in. Harblest. Harblest. And yet God made a way to deliver them. He made a way to deliver them. Notice Moses in the day that God was going to deliver the children of Israel according to his word. He did. He, he, what he did, he, what did he do? He chose a simple family. We have no record of them, see? Just a son of Levi, all we know. And his wife, just an ordinary, probably a mud dauber, as the world would think, out making bricks for the enemy. He was just an ordinary slave in Israel. But God chose that family to bring forth a deliverer, just an ordinary Jewish family. He never got some priest. He never got... Uh, just uh, he never went and got royalty and celebrity or something even even some priests he took a common ordinary family simplicity notice what he done he brought forth a child a simple human being a simple human being now in that vein of a simple human being is where God will move on your life and you find as this, this mystery has been opened up to us and being unfolded in our day, you, you think that, that you have the aspect of if God hidden in simplicity and every page the prophet would tell you that, that this Bible has become a new book to you since the seals have been opened. And that if you can't go back and read the Lord Jesus Christ on every page, you need to read it again. So you keep all of that in that same vein as you're lining all that up and you're thinking in that area, the, the, the lamb coming down, the lamb taking the book. You have Revelations 10.1, stepping forth this mighty angel steps forth he puts one foot upon the land one foot upon the sea and the scripture says he had in his hand a little book open in his hand a little book open and we don't have time to get into revelations five and six and seven in that as it's talking about those seals as they're coming forth but you you went from a closed book to now an open book it's it's open in 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 plain view before your eyes 
Not everyone's eyes, but before your eyes. It takes someone to be able to catch that revelation of what God has done. And if you have the seal of God in your heart who leads and guides you all understanding and gives revelation, you'll see it. If you've not surrendered your life to that seal, but more along the line spent more time on that other seal, how the devil will mark you, you'll never see it. You'll miss it by a million miles. Maybe it was some Thor rocket. Maybe it was some cloud cluster or some, something like that. But it was Revelations 10.1. So, and you find this in a human body. You have that war going on. Is it this? Would it be that? Would I be believe? I believe this now and God will quicken this to me now. And then I'll get into my next test. And what if I forget? What if I, if I don't use that in my trial, in my moment? I've said this many times. You're not meant to be ordinary people. You're not ordinary people. I don't know how you would describe something, but I think if, if something has been predestinated since before the foundation of the world, there's nothing ordinary about that. To me, that is the very definition of extraordinary. So if we were to jump forward to the message, Christ, the mystery of God revealed. Brother Bram, I'm talking about the intent and purpose of God. And we've covered this a lot this year about the intent and purpose of God. The way that he would make you, the way he would mold you, the way he would fashion, the way he would shape your life so that you can be a perfect and pure conduit slash temple or tabernacle of deity in flesh. So if you're to become that, then you've got to talk about the physical flesh. This is that war. This is that entanglement. This is that thing, that old man that's got to die out daily. And, and you, you have a moment with the Lord. You have time in prayer. You have time reading your Bible. And, and you're enjoying the presence of the Lord. You feel the anointing come in the room. And then an hour later, you walk into a test. And you get mad and blow off the handle and you're struggling again. That's that flesh that must die daily. You have those times of, of worship services when the Lord is moving in such a powerful way. You can do nothing but cry. And you walk out, and before you even get home, some test comes in, and you're just, oh, what happened? Trying to pull you back and forth. You have a magnet pulling you to that side, and that's what we spent all that time about the dimensional rift and, and where you're meant to be moving toward. But Satan wants you to keep you grounded. He wants to keep you grounded. Let, let's go ahead and jump over to 1 Kings chapter 6. Now, as you see this truth, and I don't... Again, I don't know how far the Lord will let us get in this today. But this, this right here it is so profound if you keep it in mind that we're not just talking about a temple built 4,000 years ago, 33,000 years ago, whatever it might be, but we're talking about your body. Your body. Your present walk with the Lord today. Chapter 6, verse 1, 1 Kings. It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, I, I always get confused. Is March the first month or um, April the first month in Jewish Hebrew calendar? Is it, I always get confused. Is it March or April? Is it April? I always thought it was April. But the Ram said that the, the Noah, they come out of the ark and they went into the ark in April, come out of the ark in April. I can't remember which it was, but... So this should be the month of May, if that's the case. This should be the month of May. In the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. He began to build the house of the Lord. Now, to what would catch attention? Now, pay attention. Verse 2, and the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was three score cubits, 
Now, if you figure 1.86 feet per cubic, there's, there's many, you know, as far as how you would define what that be, that'd be roughly 111 feet. The breadth thereof, 20 cubits, roughly 37.2 feet. The height thereof, 30 cubits, roughly 55.8 feet. The porch before the temple of the house, 20 cubits was the length thereof, according to the breadth of the house, and 10 cubits was the breadth thereof before the house. <clears throat> now, some of these things are not what I'm getting to, but I want you to hear them just as the, the, the specific technicality of the way God did this. Now, verse 4, and for the house, he made windows of narrow lights. For the house, he made windows of narrow lights. And I'll pause there just a minute. To uh, In that type of Solomon, in the reign of Solomon, that was a type of the millennium. In what God did there. It wasn't a thousand years. Yes, that's true. But it was a type of the millennium. We have, you have this man sitting on a throne with understanding and wisdom that's ruling over pretty much everything. And it's a type. It's not perfect type, but it is a type. And you have what God was moving amongst his people. God speaking this wisdom that Solomon asked for. He said, I need wisdom that I might go out before and come back in before your people. It wasn't just, man, that guy's pretty wise. That was a spirit of discernment. It was a spirit of discernment. Now, once you get that nailed down in your heart, besides just thinking, man, that guy's just really, really wise. He always gives the best advice. There's a reason why he gives the best advice. Uh, one of the very first things that he comes to, you have two women that were, I think they were harlots, that had been sleeping in a house together. They were both pregnant. They both had children about the same time. They delivered each other's babies. They had later on a time that, that one of the two mothers, I don't know if she smothered the child and the child died, whatever it was, and then she takes and she swaps the babies with the living baby and she puts it hers and she tells him that your child died in the night, even though she knew it was her child. They bring him before Solomon, and I don't know how, you didn't have, as far, you didn't have Dean. DNA test back then. You know, if you didn't have pictures before, right now you got pretty good high-res high pictures. You can look, yeah, that ain't the same baby whatsoever, and I'm terrible at identifying babies. Don't know if I can pick my own babies out of the lineup. Bethany shows me all the time, you know who that is? I'm like, I have no clue. I'm going to guess. It's one of six. <laughs> but you think, how he can know? How could he know that? Now, in, in a lot of the Bible, you have different things that gives you an idea. But in our day, we've been given a, a, a man that had surrendered his life to God that can tell you how that discernment works. He would send, be sending talking to you. You'd be before him right there. He said you would look like you were shrinking away and speeding off in the distance. He said, I would see something happen sometimes 10, 30, 50, 70 years before. And God doing something or, or whatever was God showing that man in that moment what it was that caused why they're here right now. And he brings that forward to inspire the, fur, the faith of that person that's in that need. That's in that need. To inspire your faith. Now, uh, just to kind of drop in as we're trying to build this up, that the prophet of our day, the Elijah of our day, was to turn the heart of the children back to the fathers. That original faith. To be able to believe. To be able to understand. To when God even reveals something or God speaks to you personally that lines up with the word, that's how you know whether it's right or not, when God speaks to you personally, does it contrast the word anywhere, then you take that and with a heart of faith, you could believe it. See, it's not meant just to be words on a page. It's not just meant to even be words in a tablet or tapes or, or what God had had. It's meant to be God condescending to his people. God living in this temple, this tabernacle, to be thoroughly tabernacle in deity yet again. Again, you and the Wilbur. Heavy. Very, very, very heavy. <clears throat> 
You were designed to do it, though. You realize that? You were designed to do that? That's the way you were created? It, it, it's an amazing thing. Again, bones, fibers, cells, skin, hair follicles. Such a supernatural uh, design. And not by coincidence, not one thing. Not one thing by coincidence. I heard a brother sharing this the other day, and I got to got, was listening to it, and it really blessed my heart. You understand that, that, uh, that you, if we were to jump over, I think it's is it Revelations 8. It's Revelations 8. You have the four and 20 elders that are sitting before the throne. You have the four beasts before the throne. The prophet taught us those four beasts with those four guards, standing guard, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there in the Old Testament from the Old to the New, that new covenant, that new way that God did, blending from, from the, 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 the bridging the gap from the sin to the, to the deity, way God did. That would be the four beasts, what the, you know what the Scripture talks about. And then you have the four and twenty elders, which is twenty-four elders. Those twenty-four elders were the twelve disciples and the twelve tribes of Israel, the, the, those men, the twelve sons of Jacob, or Israel. You wouldn't call him Jacob. His name was changed. It would be Israel. Twelve sons of Israel. You understand? Everybody with me so far? Those 24 elders were the 12 sons of Israel, not Jacob. Twelve sons, Because they had to be redeemed too. They, you couldn't take the same men that threw Joseph in a pit and put him before the throne. Can't do that. Those men had to have their lives changed. They had to have, they didn't get a necessarily a name changed like their dad did. But everything about them had to be changed where they can stand in that place with him. So you have the 12, uh, the, 12 uh, the patriarchs, they call them the 12 patriarchs. Then you have the 12 disciples. Now in that 11, in that 11 number, it, it's such an amazing thing. Because again, God is perfect in his mathematics. Perfect in his mathematics. The Lord Jesus gives a parable about the 11th hour worker. He said that a man went out and called these people to a field. And he said, I'll give you a penny or a farthing a day, whatever it was. This man went out at 9 a.m. And then he went back and he saw another guy milling around about noon. He told him, you go back out to do. I'll pay you a penny for the day, whatever it was. Then later that day, the 11th hour worker, he sent another guy. He said, you go out there too. And I'll pay you all the same amount. And the others that had been there since that morning were complaining. He just showed up to work five minutes ago, two minutes ago, and he gets the same amount I did. He said, that's what I told him. You, I was always told growing up, you hire in for what you want. Used to hear guys I worked with, I'm complaining about the wage they had and different things, and especially if they knew someone in the exact same role was getting more than them. That was what, but you, you hire in for what you want, natural. So you, you have that 11th hour worker. The Brother Ram told us that 11th hour worker was Israel, was the Jews, was the 144,000. And he said the way this works about being that Hebrew line, that, 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 that actual seed of Abraham, the actual blood, literal seed of Abraham, and they can trace it all the way back, that them being that 11th hour worker, them being allowed in, it's after the bride is gone, the bride is raptured, just like Joseph's wife, she's hid safely away in the palace before he ever goes to his brethren. <clears throat> he was talking about the, the two world wars that we had. We've had two world wars, World one and two, obviously. Their sole purpose, their sole purpose was to move Israel back to the homeland. Their only purpose. Everybody, everybody in agreement on there? That's pretty drastic. Pretty drastic. But God's got it all in control. You know, God needed a Hitler. He needed a Mussolini. He needed a Stalin. He needed them, and God used. He needed an Ahab, and he used an Ahab. God sets up. God sets down. God is in control. <clears throat> the sole purpose, and Brother Bram was talking about that. Ben being the eleventh iron worker, he said, "Do you might understand what month? What month World War One ended? It's the eleventh month, November." 
Do you know what day World War I ended? The 11th day. Do you know what hour the, ele- the, the, the World War I ended? 11 a.m. 11th month, 11th day, 11th hour. Who's got it in control? Every second of your life is in control of what he had. Every second. And, and they know different than you. Every second. You see why you got to redeem the time? Satan's always after you to, to, to steal that and tear it down. So those, those seals, those, those, uh, those, those, 12, those 24 elders, those four beasts are before the throne. And you notice that they're strategically placed around the throne. And in the center is where the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, sits, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the I am, sits on that throne. He's surrounded by four beasts and 24 elders. Everybody are on the same page? You know how many vows are in your heart? Four vows. The prophet told us back in the 50s, he said that they just recently discovered that there's a little compartment in the center of your heart. They have no idea what its purpose is. No idea. Absolutely no idea. Scientists were saying back then, we have no clue what that one compartment is for. It's where the Lord Jesus is meant to live. In you. And it's surrounded by four vows. Four beasts. How many ribs do you have? 24. Four vows, four beasts, 12 ribs, 24 elders. 24, 12 per side. You are always meant to serve the Lord. You're always created to worship the Lord. You are always meant to tabernacle deity. This is the exact technical specific of the way he designed your body. Not just Adam's, but your body. You were never meant to be controlled by demons. You were never meant to be occupied by devils. You were never meant to be swayed by some evil spirit. You were always meant to house the Shekinah glory of the great I am. Always. 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 Verse 4, And before the house he made windows of narrow lights. And against the wall of the house he built chambers round about. Now this is, I could spend a few weeks just in these next few verses. He built chambers round about against the walls of the house round about both of the temple and of the oracle. And that oracle was meant to be a type of the holy of holies. All of this is set up very similar to the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, which was an exact picture perfect of the, 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 your throne in heaven. The Holy of Holies, he made chambers round about it. The nethermost chamber was five cubits broad. The lowest, the lowest in the temple, the lowest chamber was five cubits broad. The middle was six cubits. You know, it's working higher. The middle was six cubits. The third was seven cubits. You see, there's a lot of types in there. For without, in the wall of the house, he made narrowed rests round about. He made narrowed rests round about. Now, you could take that to mean that he made narrow ledges around the walls, or you took it as meaning to be a rest. Just for the simplicity of the word, he made rests. (laughs) Now, I'll pause right there and, and, and remind you that when the seventh seal was open, there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. And the scripture says about the space. Uh, about. The scripture does not say for exactly a half hour. It says about the space. That means it gives you room one way or the other. Okay. So you understand that it was silence. Now, if you were to jump into Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and God's creating, God's walking through those days. First day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And on the seventh day, he rested. 
And you take that as a type. See, this is where that you sit. And today, I know people that, that take that Ruth resting and they build a camp right there and they just say, we shut our doors, we pull the blinds, no one else can come in, we're just shut away in this ark of safety. You can't do that. The bride walks as a literal paradox. A literal paradox. In your election, in your uh, predestination, your name on that book of life, that is a rest to you. You're not stressing out, Lord, will I make it? Will I make it? Am I, am I going to take a rapture? Well, you're not worried about that. You have a peace that you can't even explain to somebody. How do you know that? I really can't explain it to you. If I put a gun to your head right now and pull the trigger, blessed be the name of the Lord. The second my heart stops, I'm standing in his presence. How can you be that? You're silly. You're just silly. You're just being, oh, you're so silly. No, I'm not from here. I'm not from here. I'm not from here. In that rest, it's all squared away. It's all done. You're not wondering if you're saved. You're not wondering if that, that, that destination is secure. You know what in your heart. And you have that part. But in, in Genesis 2, is that on that seventh day that it said God rested. But God is doing something. God is building a man. God has already created him in spirit. He created he them in his own likeness, in his own image. Because God is a spirit. Created he them, male and female. That was Genesis 1, first part of Genesis 2, end of part 1 of Genesis 2. And then you have him there on that seventh day. He's already working on that body. Now, the reason why he does it in silence is, I'll continue reading. For the house he made windows of narrow lights. And I'm going to jump back down. I want you to catch that. He made windows of narrow lights. Jump back down to verse 6. The nethermost chamber was five cubits broad. The middle was six cubits broad. The third was seven cubits broad. For without, in the wall of the house, he made narrow rests round about that the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. That the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. And the house, when it was in building, when it was in building, was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither. The stone. Peter said, you're as lively stones. See, our, as he is, so are we in this world. He was called how many times the chief cornerstone? The stone that the builders rejected. Now, you have that durable uh, revelation. Uh, You won't use it as a type of rock outside. It's it's meant to just give you a a, a perspective of something that's very, very strong that can be built upon. Everyone on this planet, as far as I know, when they're building a big building, they start pouring concrete. They drive pilings. They start pouring concrete. It must set up. It must get harder. Now you can build on what you're doing. So that's where you have that rock of revelation that that Peter was told. Upon this rock, this revelation that's been given to you. Peter, how do you know that I'm Christ, that I'm the Son, that I'm the living God? How do you know that? He's a flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But your Father, which is on that other side, on that other dimension, He's the one that gives you this revelation that lets you know this is right. How many others were standing there going, that's not right? Peter said, oh, that's right. I don't care how long you've been in school. I don't care how long you've been preaching. I don't care if you've got every scroll memorized. That's him right there. That's what those scrolls are pointing at right there. That's the one John pointed at right there. There's no deviation. Line by line, that's him right there. That's the one that Daniel said, I beheld him as the ancient of days come down. No deviation. 
So the house, when it was in building, was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. Sound like silence in heaven to me. God perfecting his church. God building his church. God building his wife. Separated out. How did he separate Eve from Adam? God did a surgery. Do a study sometime on the deep sleep. Start typing in your body and take each, 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 each section out of the, in, your, in your Bible search and, and pull it out of Adam. You pull it out of Abraham all the way down to Eutychus. And you find that phrase and start looking at that, that deep sleep. He put him to death. Adam was dead. Put him into a deep sleep. How did Jesus ever, uh, how did Jesus ever describe anyone that was dead? Jairus' daughter. She's not dead. She sleeps. Oh, this guy's nuts. What is wrong with him? She's got no pulse. She's been dead for days. Been dead for days. But God put him to sleep and he cracked open the seal of his chest. The seal of his chest. Pulled out of his side. Just like Christ was done at Calvary for you. He pulled you out of his side at Calvary. He was smitten. He was bruised. Brother Brown said that God took his chest and pulled it out and put you back inside of it. When you come to him. It's all through the Bible. All through the Bible. I'll stop right there and share a testimony with you. I heard a brother say recently that, that his last child that was to be born, and I think he's got several, the last child that was to be born, uh, he takes her to the doctor uh, to go to have the baby, and uh, they wouldn't let him come back because there's another country and all those things, but they go back, that, and he's sitting there waiting for them to come back out. He said, the Lord had already showed me a vision beforehand of this child, this boy being born. Name and everything. The Lord had already showed him that. And he come, uh, the, the doctor comes out to him. The surgeon comes out to him. He says, sir, he said, this is very, very serious. Very, very serious. He said, your, your, your baby is dead, has been dead for hours. And because it's been dead for hours, the mom is dying. So if you believe in any kind of God, you need to start praying right now. And he said, brother, he, he said, I understand. He said, I'm already praying. I'm already praying. He said, but I'll get not just the mom, but I'll get the child as well. I'll get that boy as well. And the guy's like. I don't got no time for your ridiculous religious ideas, is what the doctor told him. I have no time for that. This woman's dying. I go back, he says, sir, he said, I'm not trying to argue or debate any of those things. He said, I know what God told me, and that's what I'm looking at. I know what his promise to me is. He said, you're looking at everything you know, and I'm not disputing what you see. I'm not disputing that. You've probably checked him. He's got no heartbeat. I understand. No dispute whatsoever. He said, you don't got no time. Just sign the papers and run back to the back. So he said they took her back to the delivery theater where they were set up in there. He said there happened to be a woman that was a nurse there. You had doctors, you had midwives. Everybody was trying to save this woman's life. You had a nurse that was there that this brother had prayed for probably a decade before, and she already heard about this. She's like, oh, brother, you about to be, you can probably eat them words. So they, they, they birthed the child, and they're way back in the hospital in the, in the delivery theater. And as soon as they bring the child out, he's screaming so loud that he can hear him in the lobby screaming so loud, he said, the doctor never would come back around me. Never would come back around. God raised him from the dead. The doctor said, the boy's dead. Been dead for hours. He said, that's okay. God made me a promise. He wasn't asking. He wasn't praying for this son. This one, he had many children. It wasn't like, oh, you know, like the Shunammite woman. It was nothing that, but God said, you'll have that child. He said, I believe it. I don't care what happens. You understand that, that Satan likes to take that and say, see, God didn't speak to you. God didn't give that. God ain't really dealing with your heart. That's your imagination. That's, that's all kinds of nonsense. But Satan's a liar. Amen. 
So the door, we want to get that, that tool of iron. Verse 8, the door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house. Now, if you were to walk up to a house, you would describe something as um, if you're facing something. For example, I need to spin that around. If I was to walk up to that piano, if I was to walk up to it, I would describe as the right side being that side from my perspective. If I'm describing something, this is just, my, it's just the way I think about it. They walk up, and the door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house. If you were looking at me, you would say, that's my right side. The way to the heart, the door to the heart. Again, this is just the way I'm thinking. This might not be it, but this is the way the Lord, you know, I, I say the Lord. This is my, the way that I, I feel like. I'll stop right there. It was in the right side of the house, and they went up winding stairs into the middle chamber and out of the middle into the third. So he built the house and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. He built it, and he finished it, and he covered it with beams and boards of cedar. And then he built chambers against all the house, five cubits high, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. Now here's where things get real interesting. Real, real interesting. Even similar to God speaking to Noah there when it's time to go into the ark. God didn't say, Noah, it's now time for you to go into the ark. God said, now you come into the ark. Worded differently. Almost as if he was in the ark and saying, come. You still follow me? So here's where it gets interesting. Verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, and that that verse 12, that very first word is italicized for emphasis. Pay attention. We're not just talking about a building built with hands that was cut with stones that has all these things. Think about what he's saying concerning this house, this temple, this tabernacle, this, uh, another way to describe badger skin. This house which thou art in building, if thou will walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee. Then will I perform my word with thee. That's a promise. And all you got to do is walk in his will and his way. But I think I should do this. I think I should do this. I should do this. I don't care what the Bible says. I want to live this way. That's not from my day. That's the Old Testament. That's the New Testament. He's not talking to me. Backwards and forwards, you find the struggle with flesh. The struggle with flesh. But when that life, that entire temple and tabernacle is moving according to every word of God, to the best of your ability. You understand? There's room for grace, the best of your ability. There are things that we've not maybe showed each one individually yet, and God will bring that to you. You'll step back and say, your, your first response is, Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent. I didn't realize that was there. I didn't realize that's what it said. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I will now help me surrender my life up to that right there. Right? Amen. Right? Amen. <clears throat> and walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Verse 14, so Solomon built the house and finished it. And he built the walls of the house within with boards of cedar, both the floor of the house up to the walls of the ceiling. And he covered them on the inside with wood, covered the floor of the house with planks of fir, a natural tree. 
You're also called trees of the field. You're called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Everybody, everybody following through with this? Where are we at? Verse the planks of her. He built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both on the floor and the walls with boards of cedar. He even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. I'll read that to you again. He built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls with boards of cedar. He even built, italicized, them for it within, even for the oracle, italicized, even for the most holy place. You still with me? And the house, that is the temple before it, was 40 cubits long. And the cedar of the house, which was carved with knops and open flowers, all was cedar. There was no stone seen. No stone seen. But you are built with stone. But that part's not seen. You see the flexible. Cedar is a soft wood. It's very flexible. Cedar can be bowed easily. Cedar is flexible. He's not describing uh, Osage orange. He's not describing some super hard wood. He's saying cedar. <clears throat> Covered with knops and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. No scars. No offenses. No hurts. No pains. Perfectly restored. I read that to you last Sunday about Joel 2. I will restore, saith the Lord. We're no longer just talking about a building built with hands. We're talking about your body, your life, your walk with the Lord. So restored in his presence that you're not crusty, that you're not offended, you're not scarred. You don't have roots of bitterness, but your heart and your life is open. Open to the Lord. Open to him. And the oracle... He prepared in the house within to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold. And so the altar, which was of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold. What does gold type? Deity. Deity saturated all on your inside. He overlaid the house within with pure gold. He made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle, and he overlaid it with gold. And the whole house he overlaid with gold until he, he had finished all the house. Also, the whole altar that was by the oracle he overlaid with gold. And within the oracle, he made two cherubims of olive tree, each ten cubits high. And I know this is a lot of reading. But bear with me. Five cubits was the one wing of the cherub. Five cubits was the other wing of the cherub, which is roughly 9.3 feet, something like that. So roughly 18.6 wingspan. Five cubits was the one wing of the cherub. Five cubits the other wing of the cherub. From the uttermost part of the one wing under the uttermost part of the other were 10 cubits. And the other cherub was 10 cubits. So you have two cherubims, two angels set to be as a type standing side by side. And they're meant to be specifically placed over that mercy seat, over that ark, over that oracle, over that Shekinah glory, over that, 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 that throne of God. The heart of the one cherub, the height, it's the place all those out. He set the cherubims within the inner house. Why didn't you do it out there at the gates? Why didn't you do that to guards where uh, invading armies couldn't come in? Why didn't you do that where I wouldn't feel the fire, where I wouldn't feel the flood? Why didn't you do that? 
He said, I'm not concerned about your flesh. I'm concerned about your heart. Once this is taken care of, everything else is taken care of. Amen. You understand? Everybody with me? I know it seems simple, but just stay with me. He set the cherubims within the inner house. They stretched forth the wings of the cherubims. Listen to this now. So that the wing of the one touched the one wall. That's, for example, I don't know if this is 36, 37 feet, whatever it is. But, but you have one cherubim maybe sitting right there. One wing touching that wall. Another one sitting here. One wing touching that wall. And then in the middle, the two wings touch. And that's where the ark set. Everybody with me? The wing touching that wall, the wing touching that wall, the two wings touching together. No space where it's not being touched by an angelic presence. No space, no place that is not touched by an angelic presence. The wings touch one another in the midst of the house. As I was reading that, all I can think of, he has given angels charge over thee. If God be for us, who can be against us? See, I shared that with you Sunday about uh, someone that's an amnesiac, someone that's got amnesia. The way that, the way that they'll do with someone that's got uh, that, they'll try to, once they get out of the hospital, they'll try to take them to someplace familiar, trying to walk them around. Does this look familiar to you? Do you recognize this? Have you feel like you've been here before? That, that's what you do with someone with spiritual amnesia. You walk them back through the Word. And after a while, you're not just hearing this. You're, you're, you're picking up something else. You're picking up that something that's hidden between the line. You're picking up that hidden intent and purpose of God. You can literally see your husband crying out to you from the words of that page. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ain't no God like him. Now it works. I want to read this to you. Out of um, the, the time of decision. Verse, paragraph 24. This is 1959, June the 11th. Charity, the time of decision. Paragraph 24. Eliezer and, and, and William Branham was a type of our Eliezer. You understand that? He was a type of our Eliezer. There's a lot of types and shadows that was feel, fulfilled in that, in that ministry. Eliezer, when he had the assurance that the angel was going before him. See, Moses had made a statement to God, and we just kind of bounce back and forth in Scripture. That way you can see him everywhere you go. Moses made a, a statement to God. God said, you're going to go do this. You're going to go do this. You're going to go do this. And Moses says, I ain't going unless you're going with me. And God said, well, of course. I go before you. I go before you. We sang that song earlier, Psalm 34. He goes before me. Defender behind me. When he had the assurance that the angel was going before him, this Eliezer back there in Genesis um, 20, 19, 20, from that area, uh, he's looking for a wife for Isaac, that he had the assurance that the angel was going before him, then he could decide to go because he had something to back him up. I think that that ought to be the assurance of every man of God that preaches the gospel, that he's got something positive from God that will back up what he preaches. If you haven't got it, brother, he said it's for you. God still sends men with an angel before him when he goes to take the message to the church. Not only that, but when Eliezer led the father of Isaac, Abraham, which represented the father of Christ in that type, he loaded the whole train of camels with good gifts for the bride, for that Rebecca. He said, oh, I feel real religious right now. I had a brother share a quote to me the other day that, that uh, he, he said that if you told me, Brother Brown, I'd like to invite you over for supper. 
And I go to your house, and on your table, you've got fried chicken, pumpkin pie, green beans, mashed potatoes, everything like that. All these things spread out. Brother Brown, you can have everything you want. You're welcome to everything. Have, have at it. And he said, I feel like I'd be just as welcome to fried chicken as I would to be the pumpkin pie. I'd be just as welcome to the mashed potatoes as I would to be the green beans. I feel welcome. And every divine promise is available to you. Your enemy will say, no, 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 no. But this is what your father says, your creator said. He said, oh, I feel real religious right now. I feel religious right now. He said, oh, how I love Jesus. He loaded the camels full of good gifts to give to the bride. He never told her they were for another generation or another day. He never told her that. No, that's not for you. The days of miracles are past. That's for uh, in the future. That's for the millennium. That's for anybody else but you. He never said that. He said, this promise is unto you. Come on now. This promise is unto you. He never told her they were for another generation or another day, but they were for the bride. And every true servant of God that sinned has got a whole book full of divine promises that he can offer to the bride. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm so glad of that. I'll say amen. He's got gifts in there for her, and he will not hold any of them back. He will give every one of them freely. You know he's not still talking about Eliezer right now. He will give every one of them freely. Your heart should be screaming, that's me. That's mine. I claim that. I accept that with all my heart. Be it unto me. A true servant, a model servant, a servant that God can put trust in, he won't try to hide it back from her because he knows that she is the oncoming queen. He said, oh, there's no good thing withheld from them that will walk up right before him. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. If you abide in me and my words and you ask what you will, it shall be given unto you. The book's full of it. Can you say amen? The book is full of it. Full of it. Full of it. Every promise in the book is yours. You. Everybody raise your hand right now. You. Every promise. In the book, you the bride. He came to the well in the evening time. You understand that type of in our day, it was in the evening time there should be light. And, and that was that part of that ministry, that first and second and third pool going out. But in your day right now, if you're in that Revelation chapter 4, you are in the presence of the Son. The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in His wings and a new day has dawned in your heart. So you have that type of being called. You have that time of being dressed. You have that time of being placed and built up in that most holy faith. Where we at? He come to the well in the evening time. It come to that a time that when Eliezer had to make another decision. He had to make a decision whether he would trust his own opinion of the woman or would he trust God's opinion of the woman. Oh, how true servants get that so mixed up. They'll look around at some big fine church, a painted Jezebel, and say, that's where the Lord's are calling me because their intellectuals had said, Dr. So-and-so preaches there. He said, let God speak to you. Take God's decision of who she'll be, who you'll come into fellowship with. I don't care what level it's on. Come anyhow. Let God speak. I say amen to that too. Come anyhow. And it was in the evening time when he come to the well near the city. It was about that time that Rebecca had to make a decision. I love this part. I believe, this is the prophet speaking, I believe the angel of the Lord beat him there about a half hour. The angel of the Lord that went before him, beat him there about a half hour, was already working on her heart. 
And there's so many types, so many things you can unzip with what happens right now, Rebecca. It will blow your mind. It is unreal as the same type of you. The angel of the Lord went before him about a half hour. For he will send his angels before you and then makes the way clear. Praise the Lord. And it must have been. It must have been the angel of God. It must have been that spoke to Rebecca's heart. Said, go get the water. Rebecca came to the water of life at the evening time. He said, you get the picture. It's the church in the last days. The evening time. The evening lights are here. It's the time that the angel of the Lord in a supernatural. I don't have a picture here to point at. But, but in a supernatural, divinely supernatural, proved by the FBI that God is in it. Is revealing himself to the Rebecca, the bride of Isaac and somehow or another she's moved to go to the waters of life he said oh my heart's turning over with joy I can hardly preach when I think of that hardly preach when I think of that oh he's just being charismatic getting carried away or something like that no he like John he's sufficiently impressed sufficiently impressed that other stuff don't, don't, don't excite me this is what excites me <clears throat> You know, I've shared that with you many times here lately. Brother Bram said you gotta, that you're washed by the water of the words, what the Scripture says. But if you're not in that word, how can you be washed by it? Amen. See, the dove, it, it, the dove doesn't have to be washed by any soap or put in the bath or anything like that. It just emits something that washes it from the inside out. And that would be a type of your Holy Ghost that cleans you out. But you must feed that. You must water it yourself. And, and you find this type. I said there's so many ways that you can break this down. You see this type of, of watering the camels, which would be a type of you watering the Word. Even, even sitting here this moment, this morning to uh, whether or not you agree. Uh, Joshua would put it in this way. You choose this day. You choose this day. They had a choice to stay where they were at or to step up. They had a choice to stay where they were at. Whether, they had a choice whether to say amen or not. It gets real real. It gets real serious. Will you say amen to the word? Do you believe the word? That's you watering that word with your amen. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. You have all this uh, demonic oppression telling you to keep your mouth shut. Nobody wants to hear what you think. Nobody wants to hear what you got to say. But that's the devil. That's not God. God loves it when his wife amens his word. He loves it. Loves it. Makes him happy. It pleases him. So you would see why the enemy would say, he don't like to hear you sing in worship. The devil don't like to see you praise the Lord. He don't want you to look like you got no kind of victory. He wants, he wants you to look like you're still in chains back when you used to work for him. That ain't me no more. Amen. Praise the Lord. I am free. He said, it must have been the angel of God that spoke to Rebecca's heart said, go get the water. Rebecca came to the water of life at the evening time. Do you get the picture? The church in the last days, the evening time. The evening lights are here. We talked about those three rows of lights. He said, you get the picture. It's the church in the last days. Catch that. It's the time that the angel of the Lord in a supernatural is revealing himself to the Rebecca, the bride of Isaac. And somehow or another, she's moved to go to the waters of life. Amen. My heart's turning over with joy. I can hardly preach. He said, the angel of the Lord's in the message. It's in the message. Goes forth and woos the Rebecca to come to the waters of life. Moving of the supernatural. Eliezer started praying, oh Lord God, let something supernatural happen. You sent your angel before me. Now let him do something. I know he's gone before me. Let the young woman that comes gives me a drink of the pitcher. Also will water my camels without asking. Let that be the one. And he no more than said it. 
Rebecca Kilt walked up. No more than said it. Now in that, you can see the second coming of the Lord in this whole, the whole, the breakdown from Abraham making Eliezer, make him swear that covenant, make him swear that promise. You see the exact day you're listening in. But, but what if she won't come? Maybe I should take Isaac there. He said, don't you take my son there. It's amazing. God's word is very rich. Very, very rich. I want to read this to you out of the seventh seal. And he's making a prayer. And this is paragraph 43. He said, Heavenly Father, here comes that great night, a great hour that when a great thing has happened, it's been all around the people. Father, I pray the night, I pray that tonight it'll be made known beyond a shadow of a doubt to the people's heart and mind that they would know that God is still on the throne, that he still loves his people. I should have got at least one amen. He still loves his people. And it's the hour that the world has longed to see is now approaching. It cries out for redemption. We can see the elements ready to bring it back. We can see the elements bring the church into the presence of Christ. We can see the bride taking on the form, putting the wedding garment on, making ready. We can see the lights flickering. We know that we're at the end. Heavenly Father, this goes forward now to preach or to teach on this great, great mighty event that's taking place in glory. Some 2,000 years ago was given the great beloved Apostle John. He said, we're going to speak on it. Let the Holy Spirit come forward now. Holy Spirit come forward now in his mighty power of revelation that he might reveal to us that thing which he wants us to know as he has in the last few nights. We commit ourselves to you with the word. You, you, you find the different types of each day. Now, I say this all the time. I'm not preaching to you out of book Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. I'm not preaching to you as if you're still in the seven church ages. I'm not even preaching to you as if you're in the latest scene church age. I know that you live, your body lives there, but your soul should be a lot higher. Your soul should be in Revelation chapter 4. I understand that there's a paradox with each of those. This is where the prophet would talk about that eighth day, that holy convocation, that, that life, that bride coming of Christ, and this is where you've been ushered in to his presence. I understand all of that. But even where you're at in, in, in that moment, what God would reveal to you in this hour, in this day, we understand that they have a lot of light they had a lot for each day for example if we just took the pentecostal age alone and we've shared that with you what happened at azusa street and the days leading up to and the days leading after all the supernatural things that they had all the super i can share that with you growing arms out blind being able to see dead being raised all those different supernatural things but they were still baptized in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost anti-scripture against the word not what the bible teaches they couldn't believe that. The faith that was once delivered. The faith that was once delivered. And yet your heart can believe it. Well, I ain't got that kind of faith. See, you have two parts. You have the flesh. You have the spirit. You have that eternal, uh, that eternal signature, that eternal element, that eternal seed gene of God in your heart and in your life that will grab that and say, I know it's right. I know it's right. I come from there and that's where I'm going back to. I'm hearing from home. I'm hearing from home. That's that heavenly language. That's that heavenly faith civilization where I'm from. Where I'm from. And to be pulled up into that area, to be tucked away in that presence, and to not be tainted by this world, it's a very powerful thing. Very, very powerful thing. Ain't God good? Amen. What a mighty God we serve. 
What a mighty God. Let's, we've got some time. Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 2. Somebody catch that real quick. Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, I believe. God's word is so pure, Amen. so real. The more and more you lay in it, the more and more you see him. Everywhere you turn and everywhere you see him, you better be seeing yourself. Because it's not just him on these pages, it's you. You know, John got, didn't get excited until he saw his name. He saw the lamb step forward. He saw what was done. He felt the travail of no one worthy. He felt that sorrow. He felt that struggle. There's no one worthy. There's no one worthy. And then someone steps forward. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the great I am, the prince of peace, the Lord of Lords, stepped forward. And he said, that's great. That's wonderful. But when he opened that book and saw his name, then everybody heard him get charismatic. Then everybody heard him get real emotional. Oh, you're just all emotion. You're all Pentecostal. John's Pentecostal too, I guess. I guess he is. John, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. There went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. There went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. The Lord God and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. The man of the dust. This is that seventh day now. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. And he out of the ground, out of the ground, made the Lord God to grow every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the very middle, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, became into four heads. The name of the four beasts is Pison, that it is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, italicized, there is gold. You see what we're saying here, right? The four rivers, you, you still following? In the midst of that tree, being the center of it. The river went out of Eden, the water of the garden from whence it was parted. The name of the first is Pison, that is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. They talk about the streets of heaven are so good that you can see right through them. So good. That's pretty good gold. You feel like the Bible's being a little bit nondescript right here? Being a little bit playing it down? It was good. No, we play, we, we wore the word out. You can't use the word good anymore. That's just, that don't describe nothing. You can't use the word fine. That's just, you must not really, you got to waste the word awesome on things. And most people waste the word awesome. The word awesome means to leave you in awe and splendor. Your tennis shoes are not awesome. Your car is not awesome. Some show or Instagram, but none of that's awesome. And, and it's going to be strange if that's what leaves you in awe and wonder. The river went out of Eden to water the garden. From thence it was parted. And, and it slipped down to verse 13. The name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that composeth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hadeko, And that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make and help meet for him. And out of the ground of the Lord, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, brought them into Adam, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Now, what language do you think Adam was speaking at that moment? You think he was speaking? Anybody? You think he was speaking? How did God speak to him? How does God speak to you? 
you're catching the thoughts of God. And it's meant to be a type of adoption. It's meant to be no longer you speaking. It's not meant to be your reaction. It's meant to be his reaction. It's meant to be him ministering to others through you. Spend a lot of time on that. He, he said, out of the, uh, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him help me for him out of the ground. The, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them whatsoever. Adam called every living creature. That was the name thereof. So I, I kind of feel like that God agreed. Feel like God agreed? So how would he agree unless he caught the mind of God? He caught a revelation, he caught the mind of God. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field, but for Adam. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. Someone to help him. Someone not just to be with him, but someone that can be like him. She wasn't even named Eve until they left the garden. She was named Adam. She wasn't even named Eve She was meant to be Adam in the feminine form. And here we go, that deep sleep. Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam, he wakes up, he sees her standing there. Adam said, this is now... Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Do you think God had to introduce? God had to say, oh, Adam, this is your new mate. This is your wife. He didn't have to say nothing. He looked at her and said, that's mine. She's mine. How do you know she's mine? She's got my bones. She's got my flesh. She's got my heart. She's got my spirit. You see the type of Christ and his bride there? He didn't have to, oh, oh, I'm, I'm one of yours, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm your wife. No, no. You know, the Bible talks about that negative seal of the devil, that negative impact, that negative part, that negative contrast, how in that day seven women will take hold, of, lay hands, lay, take hold, lay hold. Say, take hold or lay hands on one man and say, we want to be called by your name, but we'll eat our own bread. You see that denomination. You see that organization. We don't want your bread. We don't want to be fed by the bread of life. We're going to eat our own bread. And the Bible even talks about this. Is it the harlot that she eats her bread in secret, wipes her mouth, and said, I've eaten nothing? But he looks at her and said, this is now. This is now. Bone of my bone. See, that's a creative speech as well. See, you have a prophet standing on the scene in, I can't remember exactly which church he preached it in, I have to go back to my book. He said, you are, you are the sinless, virtuous, perfect, spotless bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. Most of us weren't even born when he spoke those words. But you have a prophet standing on the scene saying, that's how God sees you. Amen. You have Adam coming to, coming back to life. Adam now being quickened from the dead. Adam being made a resurrection. Adam being brought back into this realm. And he said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. 
no shame, no guile, no complex, no offense, no what would someone think. It was not there. There was no sin. Perfectly restored. Perfectly unrestored. We'll stop right there for the day if you have musicians come. There's so much that I didn't even, didn't even scratch anything, much less a surface. But I pray that God will continue to reveal more to us as we, we look into that. But everywhere you look, everywhere you look, all through the Bible, no matter how random, no matter how seemingly obscure passage of Scripture, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. If I had the quote to pull up from Christ, the mystery of God revealed with Abraham said, we can find the very intent and purpose of God. What was hidden, the back part of his mind says before the foundation of the world. And he said, it's you. Let's all stand our feet this morning. I love him. I love him. I love him. Let's sing that song. I adore. I adore you, Lord. I adore I adore Ah uh-huh.
bow my knees and worship at your throne. I need you, Lord. Oh, I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, Withholding nothing, 
It's all about your grace, Lord. It's consuming like a fire. And through the trial you have brought me, you raise a standard, held the flood. You held the flood. I owe my for my healing well my soul is now set free oh I'm no longer in that prison for your peace is over me and through the trial Consuming like a fire, and through the trial you have brought me.
time and we just we just say thank you, Lord. Yes. We're not worshiping a tree. We're not worshiping any ornaments or anything like that. We just want to say, Lord, I thank you for what you've done. That last line I said, for all that you have done. For all that you have done. I, I, I'm frequently reminded of what that astrologer told the Ramon Bus that day. He said, in, how did he say that? In, in honor and commemoration. In commemoration of the greatest gift ever given to mankind. thank you for what you've done in this assembly. I thank you for the faith that is in this assembly. I can, I can feel your presence here this morning and I can feel the faith of your people pulling on this gift that you have anointed those standing up here with. There are many gifts in this church, Lord. I just ask that you, you open their eyes and let them see what, what you have given them and let them give it back to you to bless your people, Lord. I ask that you be with us as we, as we go throughout our day. Be with us as we, we stay in fellowship. Those that cannot stay, guide them, watch over them, protect them. Be with each and every one that came up here for prayer. Be with those that know that they, they need something and they just lifted it up to you, Lord. You know what's on our hearts. I ask that you miraculously, divinely, just reach down and, and, and touch that need and, and bless it, Lord, and take it away and just heal, heal whatever it is that they're asking for. I ask that you be with, with each and every one that came today. Bless the, the gift and the giver that they gave, not just to our building fund, but tithes and offerings are or just lifting up their heart to you, Lord. That is all that you really ask of us is everything that that we can give you and we, we give you everything that we are here today. Bless us, Lord. Be with us and guide us. Watch over us and protect us. And until we meet again, and in Jesus' name, amen. The healer hasn't lost his toe.